0: All right, good morning, uh, my name is Dwight, so glad to be with you, one of the pastors here uh, downtown, and uh, we are, let me just rearrange myself here, talk amongst yourselves without talking real quick, all right, there we go, um, we are in a very interesting passage uh, this morning as Stephen just just read for us, and um, it, it seems like it's one of those, is it okay to passages? Like, is it okay for, for someone to divorce? Um, and, and that's a regular question that, that uh, followers of Jesus should probably ask. Not, not around divorce, but is it okay to do what it is that I want to do? Because what that uh, represents for us is that we want to actually submit our lives to, to Jesus. That um, as Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them to pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's really like, I'm following you now, I'm not following my desires, and so the things that I wanted or thought I wanted before, I'm now submitting behind you, even the things that I don't like. So, is it okay that I fill in the blank, is a regular question that you're going to ask as a follower of Jesus, because you're going to want to know, is this what Jesus wants? And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you just need to understand this is the whole thrust of everything that we're about, is that we want to know Jesus, and we want to submit to him in every way that, that we possibly can, and we want to make him known. And so this is, this is what today is, is going to be about. And divorce, divorce just seems like one of the most irrelevant topics uh, in our culture, so uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, divorce rates in Quebec were the highest, like anywhere, like high, high, high. But now st- uh, statistic people, I can't think of the their term or say the terms, my second sermon already this morning, um, they're saying that divorce is on, on its way down. And we're like, yay, it's so good, wonderful. But the problem is, is that no one's getting married, right? So it's not really going down, it's just that no one is getting married to experience divorce. And as we're talking about marriage and divorce today, I feel like I should uh, define terms real quick. Um, Marriage. Marriage doesn't always mean the same thing to everyone. So uh, I performed lots of weddings. I got to marry a lot of of people together. Really exciting. Um, And one of the things that I had the blessing and opportunity to do is to say some of the romantic words that you'll ever hear. And it's when I pull out the Quebec Civil Code and I read code 392 to 396 of what a couple in Quebec should do for one another it is the lamest part in the whole wedding and we try and make it comedic as much as possible and just read it really really quickly Um, but marriage in Quebec is not the same as marriage before God because Quebec says that you are married does not mean that that God says you're married necessarily and what Quebec is going for in a marriage does not mean that's what God is going for in a marriage. And so we just need to be really clear about that, that marriage does not always mean marriage. And we're gonna see what Jesus' intent behind marriage really is. But nonetheless, we're, we're talking about divorce. And by the way, I would not choose this text to, to preach. Like, hmm, we're coming into Advent season. What would be a good message to really get us going? It's like divorce, yes. That's gonna really like bring revival. It's gonna be amazing, But we preach through books of the Bible, and so we're in Mark chapter 10, which means this is what we're preaching. This is what we're doing this morning. So, so glad uh, for what Jesus has to say to us in this passage. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 1, the crowds are always around Jesus, always following him. We're seeing uh, people raised from the dead. We're seeing people getting healed. We're seeing people being forgiven. Crowds are wanting to come around Jesus and see what he has to offer to them. And so Jesus is doing a teaching and probably sharing stories about his kingdom of God values and what they're about and how people can get on board with them. But then in the middle of the sermon, he gets interrupted. And he gets interrupted with a is it okay type of question. Now let me tell you what this question is. It's found in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 2. And Pharisees, now the Pharisees were a, an elite religious group. Okay, so the, uh, these religious elite leaders come to him they came up and in order to test him and that's really important we'll look at that in a minute in order to test jesus asked him is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife now i said divorce is not really that hot of a topic in our culture but divorce was a really hot topic this day for several different reasons the first reason is that just a few passages before in mark chapter 6 we see that Jesus' cousin, John, was beheaded because he was going after one of the religious and political leaders about what he had done. He had taken his brother's wife, who his brother's wife had divorced his brother and now had been married to him. And he was saying, if you're a follower of God, this isn't right. You can't do that. It's not pick a partner whenever you want. It's that this is the way that things need to be. And so when there was an opportunity, um, John had a pre-guillotine-guillotine event, and he lost his head over this. And so what's happening right now is that the religious leaders are coming to say, okay, Jesus, your cousin said this, and he lost his head. What do you have to say about it? This was all a trap. They've been trying to trap Jesus for quite a few chapters now. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, it said that the Pharisees, the elite religious leaders, and the Herodians, the elite political leaders, had come together. It's amazing what you can bring together when you really hate someone. Right? The amount, now, this is not a political statement, okay, we're in Canada, but the amount of anti-Trumpers, it's like we saw a whole swath of society come together to say anyone but, right? And this is what's happening. Anyone but Jesus Anyone but Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians, are in on this together. And they come with this really, like, kind of cute question. Does the Bible actually say, does the Bible allow divorce for any reason? So for any reason that anyone wants in the world, can they divorce their spouse? Now let me be clear, this is not saying, and I'll get into why in a few minutes, This is not for women. This is directly about men because a woman in that day was not initiating the divorce. It was the men who would initiate the divorce. So is there any reason at all that a man could divorce his wife and send her away? Well, what they're talking about is Deuteronomy. This is all background stuff, but it's really important. So there's a book, Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament that they're referring to this this one verse in verse one. Let me read it to you. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency. Now those are the two words that we're going to focus on in a moment. Some indecency. Because he has found some indecency in her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she parts out of his house and then it keeps going, but we're just going to stop there. Out of that little phrase, some indecency, there were these two main camps of thought around divorce. One, you have the school of Shammai. Now, Shammai would say that the focus of that verse is really on the indecency. So, they would say that you can't get divorced unless your spouse commits adultery against you. And again, let me be clear, if your wife commits adultery against you, If she does that, then you have an exception. You have a right to be able to divorce. Now, there's another school of Hillel on the other side that they focus not on indecency but some. So it's like they believe that anything from being barren to not putting avocado on burnt toast is a reason to divorce. And it just gave so much freedom. And honestly, that was the predominant view of the day. It was kind of like, well, you know, we just don't, we don't, we don't mix. You know, she's an Enneagram nine and I'm an Enneagram six and like, I don't know, it's just not going to work or, you know, I'm a D and she's a C or whatever weird personality thing you put to it. And if your focus was on the, the idea of the sum, then you could go ahead and do this. And so they've crafted these questions. All the questions that people bring to Jesus aren't this like, uh, hey, if you could ask Jesus one question, what would it be? Not that type of moment. It's like them sitting in rooms together, figuring out how do we trap this guy? How do we get him to come out on TikTok or Twitter or in his little address to the crowds and say the wrong thing so that we can finally kill him? This was in their heart. So in essence, it's Jesus, who are you going to side with? And what I love about Jesus is that he rarely sides with us, Right? He does, he does his own thing. So he doesn't side with Shammai or Hillel. He, he says, oh, hey, let me go back to the beginning. Let me just side with God on this one. And so that's what we get in chapter 10, uh, verse six to verse nine. So let me read that. I'll go back to verse three through five in a moment. I assume that people, when I like, skip over verses, are like, when is he gonna come back to that verse? But you're probably like, I have no idea. So anyway, coming back to it, Uh, Verse 6 says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying it's cute that you've broken up into little schools to debate the Hebrew on this, but you're missing the, the greater design. You're looking for exceptions when when the ultimate purpose is that male and female are going to come together in this inseparable new creation. See, God's design is superior. There's lots of conversation around gender, around marriage, around sexuality. And so I get questions all the time around these things. And what I keep coming back to is not trying to figure out a moral exception clause. I keep coming back to Jesus. And are you willing to submit to Jesus or do you want Jesus to submit to you? Do you want Jesus to be on your leash or are you willing to be on the leash of Jesus? Because there's only one way that Jesus rolls. You don't walk Jesus along. He walks you. He takes you where he wants you to go. And his way is going to lead to life every time. And so, being a follower of Jesus means that we submit, especially when we don't like what he has to say. Do you get that? Followers of Jesus submit, especially when we don't like what he has to say. If all of life was ice cream Sundays, we would never have to say to our kids, You have to eat those green things on your plate right it's when you put the green things on the plate that the kids have to submit or suffer the consequence of no ice cream sunday right it's in that moment that they learn how to submit all of life is not just one big ice cream sunday and here's how god has has designed things male and female completely equal and yet different roles completely equal in value but different roles and so what jesus is saying even in this passage is that marriage is not owned by the man. You've been doing this whole thing around the man, and if the man wants to write their certificate of divorce, and the man wants to lead this thing and give it away, Jesus is saying, no, you've got it wrong. You have an equal, an equal relationship between a man and a woman, and marriage is not male-owned. This is really important for us to hear as well, and especially for them in that day. This, was, this would have been like revolutionary for them. Because the men thought that they were the ones that were in charge of everything. God brings together male and female into this inseparable new creation. And then Jesus is saying that no man can separate that. God did not intend for divorce to be a thing. He didn't intend for there to be a cutting off. How many of you have ever done a three-legged race? OK, hopefully not because you have three legs. Um, but three-legged race is that there's two people. You come together. They tie some rope thing on there. And if you're big enough, maybe you had a little person that ran with you and you just kind of picked them up and ran. Um, I wish that I was that big to be able to do that thing. But the, the idea of the three-legged race is that you figure out how to be in unison together. And usually at the beginning, it's a bit wonky. And you're like, OK, when I say X, we'll move this leg and what, And like, you come up with some crazy code. I, that was one of my favorite things to do in, like, our school days in primary school when we had three-legged races. It was amazing. But at the end of, at the, end of the race, it wasn't like, well, I guess we're stuck, stuck with one another forever. It's like, no, you untie the rope or cut the thing or take the, the bag off your legs, and you move on with life. But marriage is kind of like a three-legged race, but it's, there's a fusion that happens. So I performed lots of weddings, and I see this thing happen right in front of me where this new creation forms in front of me. Like, it's, it's quite a miraculous thing. And everyone is just like, it, you, you kind of miss the thing because it's just so beautiful, and now doesn't she look wonderful, and he kind of looks handsome, and like, this is so great. But what's happening is that God is taking these two and literally making them one. It's, it's a profound thing that takes place. And so this three-legged race is one where two people become fused together for. Ever, at least on this earth. And, and God's idea of marriage is a whole lot more C.S. Lewis and a whole lot less Adele. Okay, so Adele, uh, she talks about her uh, divorce. She spoke about it recently. I like Adele's voice, I just don't like her view on marriage. She says, My marriage wasn't right for me anymore. I didn't want to end up like a lot of other people I knew. I wasn't miserable, miserable but I would have been miserable had I not put myself first. I'm like, ah, so you're talking about that kind of marriage. You're talking about this partner deal kind of marriage where we're going to like sign up, you know, to a subscription together. But when we want to cancel it, we'll just go ahead and let people know. Because we're talking about this kind of marriage where you, Adele, lost yourself and came together with, I think his name is Simon or something, I don't know. Uh, But you came together and you refused as, as one. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about it. Divorce is like cutting up a living body as a kind of surgical operation. It is more like having both your legs cut off than it is like dissolving a business partnership or even deserting a regiment. Divorce is not a simple readjustment of partners to be made whenever people feel like they are no longer in love with one another or when either of them falls in love with someone else. God didn't make us for divorce. God didn't make us to go through that type of separation from what he has brought together. Okay, so let's track through this together. Jesus starts and says, God didn't intend for divorce. He intended for a male and female to come together, be this inseparable new creation, love one another till death do us part, all that stuff. So why Deuteronomy 24.1? Why is that in the Bible? Why did God put that there? And Jesus answers that in in Mark 10, verses 3 to 5. You know those verses you were all waiting and wondering why I skipped over? I'm coming back for you, okay? Jesus answered them. Remember, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, what did Moses command you? I love that Jesus does this. He never answers right away. He always puts it back on them. What what did the Bible say? You guys are like the, the scholars. They said, well, Moses allowed, permitted, a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And then Jesus said to them, hmm, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. You see, Deuteronomy 24.1 doesn't advocate for divorce. It's not like, hey, if you get in trouble, here's a clause for you to use in the court of law. Deuteronomy 24.1 was to protect If this thing actually happened, God was safeguarding and protecting the spouse that was being divorced. It was protecting the divorcee and actually giving a right to remarry. If you were the one saying I'm divorcing you because, you know, you cook bacon too soft. No, bacon's a bad illustration. This is Judaism. Uh, You, you, (laughs) big faux pas, right? Uh, You, you make taco meat this way. I like ground beef this way. Uh, We're done. Right, The law actually protects the divorcee and gives her a right to remarry because you have refused to see yourself joined by God. This is a protection clause, safeguarding the vulnerable. And Jesus actually condemns the the idea that I'm just divorcing so that I can remarry. He condemns this idea. He condemns Adele's idea. Remember, I said I liked her music. I'm not condemning Adele. Just saying that she didn't get it right on marriage. Verse 10 Jesus, in the house with the disciples, after everything takes place, in the house with the disciples, asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, As I was going through seminary, I learned that context is king. Context is key to understanding a a passage. And so, this is not Jesus' exhaustive teaching on divorce. Right? You can find him speaking a few other times about divorce. You can find Paul speaking about divorce other places in the New Testament. But context is key here. And what Jesus is specifically condemning is this idea that you can find a better toast maker, that you can find someone younger, better, hotter, that you want to marry because you just don't like the person that you're married to. He was outright condemning the whole thing that happened with John the Baptizer and Herodias and her, her new husband. Jesus is going after this. He's condemning this. That if you think that you can just uh, divorce so that you can remarry, Jesus is saying, that's not it. That's not how it rolls in my kingdom. Because marriage is about being committed servants to one another. Not I'm married to plan B, but if plan A comes along, I'm willing, open, and I can be available in a hot second. Not how it would roll. But the question comes up, Okay, can Christians actually divorce though? Is that allowed? Is that permitted? And I would say that I I read a lot on this over the years. I read a lot recently. And I will say, I don't know if this is encouraging or discouraging, but not all Christians or Christian scholars agree on this. But here's what they do agree on. That God's design for marriage is that it would be permanent. They all agree on this. That marriage is not this thing that you just enter into and exit out however you want, whenever you want. There are some people, though, that will say that there's an uh, exception clause that's given in Mark 5, um, or Matthew 5, verse 32, and Matthew uh, 19, verse, verse 9, where Jesus says that uh, if your spouse does commit adultery, uh, that, that you could have a divorce, Paul later on in the New Testament says that if you're a follower of Jesus and your spouse is not a follower of Jesus, he doesn't encourage that type of thing, by the way, that a a non-follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus to get married. But if you're married and one of you becomes a follower of Jesus and that spouse that's not yet leaves you because of your belief, that that's an okay reason. But in in terms of specific reasons why divorce can happen, this is kind of it. That's all we see. Now, we have a lot of wisdom in scripture. Um, We have a, a lot of bad things that happen in this world. And we've sat with people during really hard things that they've walked through that weren't specifically adultery and weren't just abandonment. And I would say that this really isn't a sermon to explore all of the realities of when someone can get a divorce or when they can't or when they could get remarried and when they can't. Because Jesus is actually going for us to understand what marriage is really all about and what we're actually entering into. And just because there could be a reason in Scripture for divorce, it doesn't mean that's where we start. We don't start and show up, this thing happened, I have a chapter and verse for it, I'm out. I'm like, okay, but, but let's explore why you want to be out. Let's explore what's going on in your heart. And I know that you're experiencing this really hard thing and we're not being uncompassionate or discom... I don't even know what to do with that, negative. We're being full of compassion. There we go. We want to understand what's happening. We want to walk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to see if, if reconciliation might be something that could take place. We want to see if forgiveness could take place. We want to see if people are changing. We don't want to just start with, I'm ready to be divorced because I have a birth in The Bible, we want to start with the gospel. And the gospel is that everyone in this room, whether you're a follower of him or not yet, is that you were committing spiritual adultery against God. You were worshiping other things. You've been abusive towards him and his name. You abandon him. And you're not looking for a way back. And do you know what Jesus does? He comes after us. There's this beautiful story in the Bible. uh, It's found in the book of Hosea. It's about this prophet named Hosea, and he's told to marry a prostitute. I know, weird story, but that's how it goes. And ultimately, the, the prostitute and him become husband and wife. They have kids together, and then she leaves him to go be with her lovers again. And God says, go pursue her again and bring her back. And do you know what that's a picture of? what Jesus does with us over and over and over again. Jesus isn't looking for the divorce clause with us. He is committed to us. He is committed to you. And ultimately, marriage, marriage points. It's like a a pointer, a signpost. It points to Christ and his church, the bride, coming together. So marriage between a, a man and a woman isn't even ultimate. One day, every human marriage is going to dissolve. And the marriage between Jesus and his bride is going to be fulfilled forever. And so when we submit to Jesus and him dying on the cross for his bride and then rising for her to come and get her, we are given the spirit of God that lives in us. And the the power that exists in us is one where we can now forgive. My goodness, I shared this story in the first sermon. I don't know. I'll have less details because it's online. But I, I was once counseling a couple, not part of this church, and this person had committed adultery hundreds of times, no joke, against her spouse. And I watched the other spouse say to the other spouse, I forgive you. And I'm just like, what the heck is happening? But it's the Spirit of God ravaging him to say this marriage is not about me. Now, that's not how it always ends. I've also watched marriages break apart and tragic things happen. But in that moment, it's like the Spirit of God is here. It's like, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. The Spirit is working and moving. He had a chapter and verse, if anyone had one. And he says, no, reconciliation. I want to love her like Christ has loved me. That's the power that's available to all followers of Jesus. Now, I want to say that that doesn't always happen, doesn't always end like that. And some of you maybe have gone through a a horrific thing where you've been divorced. And I don't know which side of that you've been on. But what I would say is that God doesn't receive you or love you based on your uh, marital status. He doesn't say, oh, okay, you've been married the whole time. Oh, well, I have so much more love for you than those people. Whether you're divorced, remarried, widowed, celibate, married happily, married unhappily, God's posture toward you in Jesus is love. And that I want, I want to love you and change you. I want to put my spirit in you so that your anti-God tendencies become kingdom of God tendencies. You are deeply loved. So what I want to do is I want to end. Uh, This is a long ending, okay? Don't be like, wow, this is really quick. It's a long ending. Um, But I want to end by talking a a little bit to divorce and remarriage, uh, but then I want to talk about dating, and then I'll end with marriage. And you might be thinking, brother, I I listened to you read the passage. I listened to Stephen read the passage. Dating didn't come up in here at all. But I think that this this is why dating has to come up in a sermon is because how we date and how we're pursuing uh, other people for marriage helps us not end up in these places where we're looking for a certificate of divorce to give. So let me say a, a few things. First, uh, to anyone who's been divorced, you're forgiven by Jesus for all. I don't, I don't know what role you played in that, but, but he offers out forgiveness divorce is not the unforgivable sin it's not if it was jesus would have been really clear that this is the thing that i just can't forgive you for so some of you maybe have been divorced because it's been all your faults. you're the reason why but even those things aren't bad enough that you wouldn't be forgiven And in your pain, regardless of where you stand in that whole process, Jesus is with you. He's he's not looking to bail out. He wants to uh, comfort and challenge you. Right? That's what we get with Jesus all the time. There's a comforting and a challenging. And if they're not both there, you need to wonder, "Am, am I really hearing from Jesus? If you've been divorced or experienced that, is there something that you still need to do? Just because the law says that you're divorced doesn't mean that everything is wrapped up. Do you need to pursue that person for forgiveness? Or do you need to forgive that, that person? Because if bitterness sets in because of what's taken place, you're going to bring that into uh, all your relationships, not just a marriage relationship, but all your relationships and the way that you view the world and people in general. And maybe you've been divorced and you actually have to return to that marriage. We've seen that happen as well. We've seen people get divorced and then return back to that marriage because they realized what they did wasn't appropriate, wasn't right, and they went back, asked forgiveness, and we've gotten to see relationships restored. This is the power of the gospel. To those of you who are remarried, you might be thinking, oh, am, am I in sin? Am I not in sin? What, what's happening? These words are really hard, and I would say I would love to sit with you and walk through this text more in depth around this, uh, but if you're remarried, well, be committed there that's where you are right now. Be committed to that person. Walk as one flesh fused together and, and work through the pain that you've brought into that marriage from before. Really, really important. If you're celibate, if you're a widow, right? Some of you maybe were thinking that, hey, I'm gonna be married a really long time and then something happens to your spouse and you find yourself to be a widow. or You're single for now. Um, I wanna say you're not second class in the church. Sometimes uh, it can feel like if, if I'm not uh, married and have 2.3 kids, or in Montreal it's probably like 1.2, or maybe 0.8, I don't know. But it's like if I'm not in this category, then I kind of feel like sub-superior, and I'm not. Most sermons or, or illustrations don't land, and I would say you're not second class. You're, you're loved by God, and you have a crucial part in this church and in his kingdom. And you should read Singleness by Sam Albury. Um, Incredible book, really, really good, will help you. Um, and, and if you're ever like, man, I, I don't know if I can do anything because I'm single. Well, uh, Jesus was single. Paul was single. We could just keep going on. That being married is not a prerequisite to do ministry, okay? Now, let me go to dating. Uh, dating, courting, what hanging out, I don't know what you call it, right? Uh, don't, don't put me in a category based on the term that I'm using. Uh, But dating really should lead. If you're a follower of Jesus, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, dating should lead to Christ and should lead to marriage. I'm not saying everyone you're going to date, you're going to marry. But dating isn't a hobby. Woodworking is a hobby. Running is a hobby. Scrapbooking is a hobby. Don't know why people scrapbook. If you do, it's amazing. But it's a hobby, I know. Dating is not a hobby, Dating is trying to figure out someone's heart and whether you align with them in many different ways so that you can be with them for the rest of your life. Not a hobby, it's not a swiping thing. And this is really important for us to know inside of the church. Our dating doesn't have to look like the rest of the world, don't date aimlessly. Don't date aimlessly. If you're not ready to even think about marriage whatsoever in the next few years, I would say dating is probably something for later. Don't date aimlessly. If you are dating, I would say uh, date, now again, you're not going to find these things in the Bible necessarily. That's why I keep saying I would say. (laughs) But I would say date in groups. I don't mean like date three or four people at the same time. I mean like go on a date with a group of people because this does a few different things for you. It allows for other people to watch that person that you're dating. You're like, oh, isn't he so wonderful? It's like, yeah, he flirts with everyone around him. That's not gonna stop when you get married. Other people see what you don't see. Listen to others, listen to Christians, listen to your parents. Listen to friends. Invite other people into this process. And don't don't trust yourself too much. Don't be like, yeah, I think that um, watching Lord of the Rings at 1 a.m. would be a really great thing in the dark by ourselves. Because we just want to get to know one another better. It's like that leads to things. So be wise in your dating. Have people around. Keep your clothes on. It sounds really simple, but do it, right? Clothes on, most likely going to be okay. Don't awaken love too early. Song of Solomon, the the refrain throughout that book is don't awaken love too early. Love is meant to be awakened like an on-ramp to a highway. When you get on the on-ramp, you just keep going. You're not like, I'm going to try this on-ramp, and if it doesn't work, I'm going to back it up. People in Montreal do try that, right? They're annoying, but on-ramps are meant to like get on and, and go faster. Don't awaken love too early. Don't become so emotionally attached and physically attached and definitely don't become sexually attached. That's not for you yet. Until you say, I do, you're not married. You don't belong to one another. In fact, as I go into uh, the room where the bride is, I usually don't ask the guy, but I do, I, maybe I do, I don't know. But when I go in the bride, I'm like, are you sure you still want to marry that guy? Like, just because you got the dress and he's got a ring does not mean you need to do it, right? It's like up until that point, you don't yet belong to one another. So in your dating, stop pretending like you belong to one another. That person you're dating might actually break up with you because you're weird and might move on to someone else, less weird. And you don't want to harm them for the next person. Please don't come into my office and ask, oh, I'm thinking about dating, uh, how far can I go? I will just sing to you, dum-da-dum-dum. Like, that's a really dumb question to ask right now. Be thinking, how can I serve them? What questions can I ask to get to know them? How, how do I mind their heart so that, so that I can find out whether we would actually be a good fit together. I tell people dating, have a a spiritual friendship. It sounds weird, I know. But have a spiritual friendship because whatever you invest into that person spiritually, praying together, studying the Bible together, reading books together, if it doesn't work out with them, they carry that on to the next relationship. You're investing in their future marriage by investing in that relationship in that way now. And instead of looking for the perfect spouse, work on being the perfect spouse now. You're not going to be the perfect spouse. Get a life. Come on. But work on being a really good spouse. Men, shut off pornography. It's just something that has to die. Otherwise, you're going to walk into this relationship, not fully in this relationship, because you're going to have other people in your minds all the time. And women, yeah. It, it applies to about 20% of you. I know statistics are now 80-20 around porn. Kill it now. Kill it now. Don't bring that into, into your, your marriage. And lastly, I would say don't don't settle. Don't just settle. Oh, I met a Christian guy or I met a Christian girl or I met a guy and I met a girl and they find me so wonderful and man, I don't know if this is ever going to come along again and I'm just going to go for it. I've talked to many people that wish that they didn't get married but who are now married and our counsel is, you're in this. You're in this. How do you work this out together? Because they were just so in love and they're dating and oh, it's amazing. But that doesn't last. That's a season of your relationship. Don't just settle. And if you are a single, you're a single guy I know lots of single women in this church. Let me help you, right? There are lots of them. And if you're a single woman, I know a few good single guys in this church. You better talk to me soon, okay? But, but it's this idea that we, we're like, oh, I can't find anyone. It's like, well, do you talk to anyone? We used to meet at a movie theater, and this single guy came up to me and he said, man, I really want to be married. And I said, There's about 50 single girls out there in the lobby. Like, go say hello. Oh, but that'd be just too weird. Like, you have issues that might, I don't, like, I don't know. But people are available with the same desires that you have. Let other people in on your process. I just signed myself up for something I probably don't want to sign up for. But you can always talk to my wife as well. She'd love to talk to you about getting connected with someone. Um, All right, for marriage. Sorry, I just threw you under that bus, Jess. If you're married, keep pursuing your spouse. Keep pursuing them physically. Keep pursuing them emotionally. Keep pursuing them mentally and and spiritually. Let your spouse be your standard of beauty. Right now, I am most in love with a 33-year-old five-foot, one-and-a-half woman. One day, I'll be very much in love with a 60-year-old woman, right? My standard of beauty changes as my wife changes. Billboards around Montreal do not tell me what the most beautiful woman in the world looks like. Like, that that's her. And as you're married, that's the way that you get to look at your spouse, that you are my standard of beauty. I... I We we mentally meditate. We meditate on the word, and then we meditate on our spouse. Meditating on the word and our spouse keeps us out of all sorts of temptations. If you're married, pray for and over your spouse. Serve your spouse with, with no strings attached. Some of you serve your spouse so that you get something out of it. That's not the reason to serve. You've already lost it. Right? We serve because we've been served by Jesus. We can be the biggest servants in our marriage. And some of you are going to have marriages potentially in the future where you are doing all the serving. Right? I just watched my dad passed away this summer. And for the last three years, it was mostly my mom serving my dad as he went through this bout with cancer. Right? Marriages don't always end up 50-50. Sometimes they end up 100% zero. You're not signing up for this neat little forever walk on a beach looking for seashells. You're signing up to serve one another. And ultimately, your spouse isn't yours even. Ultimately, your your spouse is Jesus's, and for all of eternity, they are his. And so in your marriage, be quick to apologize and forgive. Seek to understand, ask questions, draw out. "I I don't get what you're saying. I struggle with this. I really struggle with this. I, I'm not quick to understand. I'm quick to assume. But seek to understand. Praise your spouse often. I've never been a spouse that, that's that been over encouraged. Like, I don't know. My spouse sends me too many encouraging text messages. I had to block them. It's like, never heard that, ever, never. Communicate. Take time to communicate with one another. And we were having a conversation recently with a couple in the church that we were talking about the word divorce and how we just don't say that in our house, right? You don't get to talk about divorce because that's not an option on the table. We're not looking for a way out. I'm all in on Jess, all in. Finally, accept that you won't have the perfect marriage. You're not gonna have the perfect marriage. Even if you write a book about marriage, your marriage isn't gonna be perfect. But you will have and can have a one flesh marriage that's not all about you. Finally, there is a perfect spouse. And that perfect spouse is Jesus. And listen to this perfect spouse. He's going to do what no spouse could ever do for you. He's never going to leave you, he's never going to forsake you, and he's never going to divorce you. He's going to change you to be like him, but he's not going to change it with derogatory terms or making fun of you. He's going to change you to be like him by his love. He takes you with your spots and wrinkles and all your strangeness, and he he loves you for it. And then he's transforming you to be just like him. He pleads and prays for you, he pleads and prays for his bride. He has the best interest in view, and he is with you in every way. Maybe you're hearing this this morning, and you're like, man, emotionally, this is really hard for me to hear because of whatever subject got brought up, but emotionally, he understands your pain, he's with you, and he wants to work through that pain with you. He's in control, he's our protector, and for all of eternity, nothing is going to take us away from him. And do you know what is so fascinating? When you think, I like to think like billions and trillions, because my mind just can't completely go there, so it causes me to worship. Um, We're going to be with Jesus for trillions of years and beyond, no end. Let's just say trillions of years from now, Jesus is still going to be pursuing you. He's so full of love for you that he's going to be pursuing you and you're going to be pursuing him because you're going to see him in all of his glory. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? I'd say we we turn to him. We turn and we look at Jesus and we say, are you sufficient for me, Jesus? Jesus if you're dating or or trying to date, is Jesus enough for you? If you're married, is Jesus better for you than your spouse? If you're divorced, is Jesus better than the identity or the scarlet letter sometimes you put on yourself of being that? Like, is Jesus sufficient for you? Because he can be. See, everything else will will disappoint you. And I'm... I'm sure if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been disappointed by a lot. And it was me, my life, being disappointed, being disappointed by some of the biggest things that I thought were going to bring me joy and satisfaction. And when I lost those things, that's where I found Jesus. And he hasn't disappointed. And so as, as a response to this, this text, let's ask Jesus what he wants for us to do. Jesus, what do you want for me to do? Is there something in my past that I need to rectify? Is there someone that relationally uh, I've, I've harmed them and I need to go and I need to ask for forgiveness? Or I need to forgive. Is there something in your life that you need to change today? Right, is it, You're thinking about the dating or the, the marriage especially. Is there something that you need to change about you? Not be looking for your spouse or, or other people to change, but is there something that you need to change? Let Jesus change you. And my final thing, I guess, is just that we'll submit everything to him. We'll submit our lives, we'll submit our relationships, we'll submit our timetables, we'll submit our ideas of what marriage or celibacy or divorce, what all those look like, and we're gonna submit them, submit them to him and let him uh, rewrite uh, our theology, re- rewrite our ideas around around his kingdom and and they're the values that come out of that. So let me... Let me pray for us, and then, then we'll continue responding. Jesus, thank you, that, uh, thank you for your teaching to us about uh, what marriage really is. I want to pray for the marriages that are here, uh, represented in the room, that they would be marriages that, that really are fused completely, that there's, there's, no, there's no rope that we're looking to cut, but that you would strengthen the bonds of those marriages. I want to pray for those who have experienced uh, divorce that, that Dad, you would you would be with them in that pain and that you would cause them to respond however it is that you want for them to respond, whether it's through forgiving, being forgiven, or returning. That's all on you, God, so would you work on, on their hearts. I want to pray for those who are dating or who want to date. For those who feel unlovely, I pray that they would... I uh, find all of their loveliness in you, Jesus, and that you you find them to be lovely because of what you did for them. And I pray that we would be uh, holy people, uh, pursuing other people uh, who love you, Jesus, and that um, that our pursuits would represent you well to to the other person. Thank you that that you know where each one of us stands with all of these things, and um, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're for us. And, We pray for for this city that that lots of people would join your bride, that millions of people would be brought into your bride, that your bride would grow in a significant way in Montreal, and that we would see this city turned uh, for your glory. We love you and need you for everything. Amen.